You're listening to McKinsey's Future of America podcast, featuring conversations inspired by a new era of sustainable and inclusive growth. Welcome to another episode of McKinsey's Future of America podcast, where we'll explore how we can build a future that drives sustainable and inclusive growth. Join us in conversation with leaders who are accelerating progress to grow, broaden, and sustain prosperity for more Americans. I'm your host for today, Monica Toriello. I'm an executive editor based in New York. Today, we're going to be talking about strengthening Black-owned businesses to accelerate inclusive growth. Joining me in this conversation are my colleagues, Tiffany Burns and Tyler Harris. And I'll just say a little bit about each of them before we dive in. Tiffany Burns is a senior partner in our Atlanta office. She works with consumer and retail companies on large-scale transformation efforts to improve their performance. She also leads what we call 10 Actions, which are McKinsey's efforts to fight racism and achieve greater racial equity for Black Americans. Tiffany, thanks for joining us today. Great, thank you. And Tyler Harris is an associate partner in our Washington, D.C. office. Like Tiffany, she focuses on the retail industry. Tyler has extensive expertise in retail operations, next generation store technologies, and fine jewelry. And she is deeply involved in McKinsey's work to advance Black-owned companies and brands. Tyler, glad to have you with us. Thanks, Monica. It's nice to be here. So I've told our listeners a little bit about you both, but maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what you do day to day and your journey, right? What led you here? How is it that in mid-2022, you are on a McKinsey podcast talking about the future of America as it relates to Black-owned businesses? Tiffany, let's start with you. Great, great. Thank you, Monica. Um, So I have, I'd say for the entirety of my time at the firm, largely focused on businesses in the consumer and retail space um, and have kind of gone through all the functional dimensions of that, right? Operations, thinking about topics around growth, um, format strategy, sort of all the, all the work that that entails. Um, and one of the things that has been the most exciting is continuing to think about how it's going to evolve and change, right? How are consumer preferences changing? How is the um, broader economic context impacting how retailers operate, right? There's a, been a lot of change in the space. And so I'd say a lot of my experience has been tracking those changes and figuring out how we best enable clients to respond to them and to emerge from them, you know, in a more successful position than they started. And and I have I have a similar angle as Tiffany in, in getting involved in this coming from really a, a retail perspective. And a lot of the work that I do is around kind of retail of the future and store of the future. And in the last couple of years, kind of reflecting on a lot of the conversations that we've had with clients on the topic, it's been a lot about technology and a lot about efficiency. And all of those topics are really, really important to retail of today and retail of tomorrow. But the topic of who is involved and who is included in the retail of tomorrow wasn't coming up as much as you know I really thought that it should be. And so as kind of we started to see the trends in consumers saying, hey, I want products from diverse owned brands and black owned brands, kind of being able to help clients get there um, to meet that consumer need and to kind of write a new future that goes beyond technology and beyond processes was really what got me energized. And I'm also a builder. So I love to build and create new things, which we'll talk a little bit about what we are building and creating, but that always gets me excited too. Great. So we're looking forward to hearing your insights on this, you know, tremendously important 
topic. And McKinsey certainly over the past few years has published quite a bit on the racial wealth gap and Black economic mobility and and Black-owned businesses. And one clear message is that the success of Black-owned businesses won't just be good for those Black business owners, but good for the U.S. economy more broadly and good for society. Say more about that. Like, Why are Black-owned businesses critical to the broader economy and to the future of America? So over the past couple of years, Monica, to what you alluded to, we have started to get really deep into the research. Um, And we stood up a Black Economic Mobility Center, which is really trying to think about the research behind what the economic potential is to like greater equality is the way I like to think about it. One of those pieces of seminal research was around the Black consumer. And essentially, it said that the Black consumer spending is around $900 billion in 2019. And then we projected it forward to say, okay, what would it look like in 2030? And the number's around $1.7 trillion. And the growth there is basically faster than the white counterpart population, largely because we are seeing an increase in education within the Black community, but also we're seeing faster population growth. So if you think about it and you step back and say, that's pretty significant, right? And that is where a lot of the growth is going to come from. And so that's why it matters. If you layer on top of that and say, what's going on with that spending and where do things lie today? That same piece of research highlighted that there was a $300 billion opportunity, so sort of incremental opportunity to getting the right products and services to the Black consumer. And what we've seen is historically, those needs have been unmet and kind of leave a gap and an opportunity that businesses can go after. And so if you just step back and say, you know, why do we think that the Black consumer opportunity is a big one. And then in that, we do think that Black businesses can play a part of it, right? They won't be the whole solution, but we definitely think that they can play a part of it. And going after a $300 billion opportunity is pretty material. I think the other thing we're also seeing is if you ask all consumers, what do they think is important? And this is some of the research um, you know, that Tyler and I have been involved in around the inclusive consumer you know, 50% of consumers will say, we think it's really important that retailers should be supporting Black businesses. And we would like to see those products on shelf, right? Because we think it's a source of innovation and a newness and uniqueness. And so we're also seeing the broader consumers say, this matters, right? We'd like to see it and it will drive purchasing behavior, et cetera. So I think that we think Black-owned businesses are critical for both of those things to meet the need, the unmet needs that we see today in the Black consumer, but also more broadly, you know, for all consumers. To build on what Tiffany was saying, right, for the consumers of today that are being served by your your retailers today, right, it's about keeping them, right, because their their preferences have actually changed. And for a while, we wondered if, you know, if the consumer was actually going to vote with their wallets for Black-owned brands or for, for diverse brands, and the data is proving out that, yes, they do. So serving their needs is, a, is about, you know, stabilizing your business as it is today. The Black consumer that Tiffany d- just described 
described is a remarkable growth engine that folks have not tapped into yet in the way that we think they could and should. One, for their business health and retailer business growth, but then also just for serving the consumers that exist in our U.S. population and making sure that we've got we've got equity from a consumer perspective as well. Great. And, you know, McKinsey's also published a couple of industry-specific reports, right, on Black representation in those industries. There's one on the film and TV industry, for example. And then, Tiffany, you were involved in one that just came out recently on the beauty industry. And both of those reports identified specific pain points for Black professionals or Black entrepreneurs trying to make it in those industries. Was any of this surprising to you? And as you've studied this issue, what struck you the most about the obstacles that Black people face in the business world? Yeah, I think we intuitively knew that it was harder, right? And I think that, you know, but what the research enabled us to do is really lay out in a structured way, what does that journey look like for the Black entrepreneur? And, you know, you talked about in Hollywood, but also if you think about it, just in the beauty work that we recently launched. And basically when you map out that entire journey from like, I have an idea, right? To like, I'm running sustainable business. To your point, there are challenges all along the way. And those challenges, what we were able to see is how much of those curtailing the funnel, you know, to where we get successful, sustainable businesses on the at the end of the funnel. And one of the things that I found was surprising is just how much of it is about relationships and connection and those sorts of things that are a bit more nuanced and harder to put an actual value on them. But when you bring them all together, they result in a funnel that is like very tight and very few businesses are sort of making it to the other end. And so when we did some interviews, especially in the beauty side, we talked to a couple of dozen beauty founders to really understand like, what was it like? What did you go through? And you would hear things like, I had an idea, a great idea, right? Like, an idea where I knew that this was a gap in the market. We didn't have anything for this sort of skin type, et cetera. And the first thing I needed to do was like, go test it with someone and see how could I, you know, get access to the right people. Well, then when you look in the beauty houses and some of the places where you would want to go have those conversations, you know, 5% of the folks in the executive positions are black, right? And it's a little bit around like, who do you know that you can pick up the phone and call, which was kind of challenge one. The next challenge became, say, I can make it past that, right? And I sort of can go out there, get the data and the information I need, start to test it with people, which is what we know entrepreneurs do. That's how they function. They get an idea and they continue to make it better as they test it and and, and share it with more folks and sharpen the idea. But then you then want to go after an opportunity and say you want to go after something around, you know, skincare, right? Which requires certain formulations and things. Well, you need investment, right? Because you need a chemist. Right. And so then you have to have a chemist that you can invest and say, help me get the formulation right. Well, if you don't have the investment, which we see that, you know, black entrepreneurs are significantly right underinvested when you relate it to um, their peers, even businesses that look very similar. When you look at the terms that they've both gotten, they're not at all, you know, on the same page. And so that just gives you some of the examples, but like those anecdotes, you know, which actually get to the numbers at the end of the day, persist across. And you kind of have to have, you know, so much willpower and tenacity and resilience as a founder to do all the things entrepreneurs already have to accomplish on top of like the added barriers and obstacles that we see that Black entrepreneurs face. Yeah, Tiffany, your point about the 
journey is a good one because you know it, it's hard to go on that journey as an entrepreneur regardless right like that is that is a path that is hard and takes a lot of tenacity and doing that as a black founder is even harder and because of that journey that you described and the fact that at every step of the way black founders meet more and harder challenges than your average founder that's what makes driving change on this simultaneously so hard but also so rewarding right because it's not the type of thing where you can say all right we need to solve it with a capital infusion or we need to solve it with this you really have to solve it across the entire journey and targeting each of the different pain points would usually means it's not just one person or one entity solving it, right? One person or one entity is not necessarily going to be really good at helping a founder go throughout that entire journey. So it takes multiple different entities coordinated to kind of get everyone through that funnel. So I think that journey really resonates with me that you described, Tiffany, because it's it's what makes this challenge so, so hard. And also, um, I think at the end of the day, so rewarding when when we do crack it. Yeah. And I'm going to dig into some of the stuff that you've just uh, talked about, Tyler, but I want to, I'm going to read a short excerpt from a McKinsey article from October, 2020. The article is called Building Supportive Ecosystems for Black-Owned Businesses. Right. I quote, Black Americans have never had an equal ability to reap the benefits of business ownership. While about 15% of white Americans hold some business equity, only 5% of Black Americans do. And among those with business equity, the average Black American's business equity is worth about one third of the average white Americans, end quote. And the article goes on to say that the median white family's wealth is more than 10 times the wealth of the median Black families. So like I said, this article's from a year and a half, two years ago. Do you think things have changed since then for Black-owned businesses? Or, or maybe a more precise question is, what do you think has changed since 2020 and what hasn't? Look, I think if we're really balanced and honest to date, if we look back and say vis-a-vis 2020, where we are today, I think that the business case for doing something different is starting to emerge and is starting to land with folks and people get it. I would say the actors and what Tyler was saying earlier on all the different types of stakeholders that are going to need to get involved are also sort of saying we have a problem. And I think we're starting to see people come together and converge and think about solutions, right? I would say that that's kind of we're in the storming and forming kind of part of it, but we haven't yet gotten to the other side where we feel like we've cracked it. The initiatives are clear. We're putting points on the board and really know that we are driving meaningful progress. And I think where we are now is we cannot take our foot off the gas, right? There's a little bit of like an acknowledgement of how bad it is. It's been backed up with facts. People are starting to organize and coalesce around doing something about it. But now we actually have to move to action and make sure that we're continuing to innovate on those solutions so they really do drive the impact. And so I would say that realistically, in my mind, that's where we are. You know, which good. Look, first step is knowing you have a problem, getting commitment to that problem, you know, then getting prepared to do something about it. I agree. I do. I am personally kind of encouraged by a couple of the success stories that we have seen in the last few years, right? You have seen um, a couple of black founded businesses uh, being quite successful and selling, right? Briogeo, Wella. You have, you have some examples there that we can point to and say, you know, it, it is possible. And there, there is a path there. That path might be hard and we've got to figure out how to get more entrepreneurs down that path. 
but we are starting to see a couple more examples that give us the example to celebrate and the kind of the light at the end of the tunnel that for earlier stage founders that are kind of in the middle of a really hard journey um, can look to for promise, but we are far from as many brands as we need to have, have at scale. I do agree with that, Tyler. It's, it was a great experience for me. I think it was about a week and a half ago. I was spending some time with about, I don't know, 15 or so um, Black founders of different businesses. And it was super energizing in that context because all the founders are talking about their businesses and what's going on. And, you know, they were sharing ideas and kind of a community that they built together. And if you just like, you know, Black describes like the race of the folks who were in the group. But if you put that aside, these were fantastic businesses with fantastic value propositions things that consumers need, gaps in today's market, where I got a lot of energy because I said, I see a path of them scaling. And so I think that's exactly right, Tyler. We're starting to see some wins. And then we're also starting to see a pipeline, a very exciting pipeline of businesses to come um, that if we can support them and create the ecosystem around some of the pain points that we talked about, you know, sky's the limit, right? And what we should see in terms of realized, you know, impact. And that's going to be a great segue into our next segment, but we are going to take a break before the next segment. So Tyler, as you were saying, you know, obviously no single company or entity can change things. It's going to take, you know, the public, private and social sectors all mobilizing and being committed to achieving parity, right? Let's talk about the private sector in particular. Many companies over the past two years have made, you know, public statements about what they're going to do to combat racial injustice. What have you found actually works? Like what are companies doing that is truly moving the needle on this issue? And I guess on the flip side, are there things that we've found just don't work? Like they sound like a good idea on paper that, but they just don't make the kind of impact that they're expected to. The types of things that companies are doing that work really well um, are getting specific about what they are trying to do and are measuring and following up against it. Um, I think broadly, we have in, in the retail industry and in other industries, real room to grow on the ladder, on the following up and kind of reporting out against it. We've seen a lot of companies make some great commitments that are specific um, and that are actionable, but that kind of routine and diligence around following up in a really truthful way to say, did we make the progress we wanted to? And what are we going to change as a result? is something that I think we can turn up the dials on a bit. But that's exactly what you are trying to do and with this program that you're now going to be talking to us about. You're both very involved with Next 1B, which is McKinsey's accelerator program for diverse entrepreneurs. I do not know a thing about it, so I'm excited to hear you talk about it. Um, so maybe just give us sort of the overview, what it's for, what inspired it, why it's focused on the things that it's focused on. We did not, in the beginning, start out with the intent to stand up this program. You know, we've kind of been reactive and thoughtful about what's the right way to engage and to help as we've gone down the path. And one of the things that we learned early on is, you know, we started with an understanding of what the consumer was doing. We then understood a big commitment, for example, uh, on behalf of retailers, right, to really want to reinvent in some places their merchandising strategies that include a lot more black brands. And so like we said, great, consumers want it. Retailers want to see more of this. Now we're the brands, you know, and, and sort of like, how can we help them 
capitalize on this moment and this opportunity. And as we dug into that, and I don't know, we've had so, so many conversations with different founders, which I have to say have been super inspiring, understanding their why and how they got to where they are. And I think Tyler and I have done our fair amount of shopping too, and lots of trying things. And it's been quite great, right? Research at work, I, I like to call it. Um, but we found that there are a lot of founders, a lot of Black businesses that are smaller, right? If we think about kind of where the curve on um, revenue for small businesses. And so we'd say like sub a million, right? There's a lot of new folks getting started in that space. And so what we said is, how could we help those founders in this journey when we know you hit a lot of those pain points really early on? you know, go through, go through the, go through the the journey. And so that's kind of was the starting point. And it really came out of conversations, understanding and trying to figure out with, you know, McKinsey and our platform and capability, like where can we uniquely have more of an impact? And so, and so that was kind of the start of it. It started with that like journey in mind that Tiffany just described and recognizing that, you know, for founders, you know, support across that journey is really important. And so it's, it's ultimately manifested itself in two programs. The first program is one that we call founders. So it's tailored toward those early stage entrepreneurs that Tiffany described um, and really trying to get ahead of a lot of the roadblocks that they faced early on. And then also building community, right? We talked about earlier um, in the, in the first section about just how black entrepreneurs, you know, disproportionately don't have the access community networks, mentorships, all of those things that we know are so critical, uh, right? A quarter of Black entrepreneurs will tell us that uh, not having those things is the thing holding them back. And so we're really trying to create that network for them and a support network of other founders um, to help them through those early stages. So that's kind of program one. And it's a 12-week intensive program that we take founders through to learn about some of the roadblocks early and create those networks. And then the program two is what we call the scalar program, which is for you know, later stage. And I use later in, in air quotes because they're still relatively young brands with revenues typically under 50 million. But for for those, those companies, we kind of come alongside them and support some of their growth more one-on-one. And so really diving into um, what are the different levers that this business could pull for growth and helping them action some of those. So those two programs together um, are aimed at, again, that journey. We're also taking a little bit of our own medicine and realizing we can't do it alone. And so we are bringing in different folks to collaborate with us along that journey where we know, you know they have expertise that's actually really helpful for different stages too. So we're, we're doing our own medicine of journey and, um, and collaborating with others. And who are some of those partners? So the partners that we are bringing into this, they are you know, retailers who when, obviously when you think about brands, they're the ones that are putting, putting these brands on the shelves. Um, we are bringing in um, folks in financing, so debt equity financing, because both end up being quite important. And then other folks that we're collaborating with for other very specific areas, right? We've got executive coaches who are coming along and helping um, folks kind of refine their pitches and refine their stories. So it's those types of, of players that we're bringing along the way. And then I'd also add then in some of our internal assets and capabilities, we're also trying to pull into the work because, you know, we've built automated ways to look at product 
product costs and different things like that, that we're, we're trying to pull in and say, how can we give that insight? And a lot of times analytical understanding to the founders as well, because it's stuff given the size of their teams and where they are in the build the business journey, you know, probably they don't have access to it. Um, and the last thing I would say is I think in some ways this experience will be different than your typical McKinsey experience. And I venture to say that, I mean, one of the things we found is there's a lot around, um, back to this, the, to what Tyler was saying around just how hard it is to be a black founder doing a program that is like agnostic of that. And without that realization, we felt like it didn't work. We listened to a lot of folks when they talked about their day to day. And so there's a lot around mindset and, you know what I mean? And, you know, what's your purpose and, and look, I say that it's not McKinsey. It actually is that we think about centered leadership and a lot of the ways that we've helped executives think about purpose, clarity, and impact. But there is a big part of the curriculum and experiences around that, which we're excited about. And we've listened to the founders and feel like that that is um, an important part of the, the journey for them. Say a little bit about the name. Next one B. What does that mean? Next one B is all about building and supporting the next generation of $1 billion Black-owned brands. $1 billion is important because it's the unicorn status, right? Our goal is to create as many Black-owned unicorns or support as many Black-owned unicorns as we can. Because uh, we know looking back historically, the numbers of Black-owned unicorns, particularly in consumer and retail, um, are you know, less than 5%, um, less than 2%, actually, if you, if you get down to the very specific number. And so our goal is to, is to break that wide open and, and create the next generation of, of Black-owned unicorns. So it's an ambitious and, like you said, Tyler, super exciting program. Can you tell like a story or like your favorite example of impact that you've had so far? And then also, what's been like the toughest part of this? I mean, I know all of it is probably pretty tough. Um, but like, what's like a surprising part of it that was challenging in a way that was unexpected? So a lot of the elements of what we are building into the program around like, what does the path need to look like? We have tried them in some test ways, right? With some clients. And I was, you know, about a month ago with one founder talking about and reflecting on a little bit of that experience. And that business, when we had started helping, you know, support the founder was probably around, um, it was probably over a hundred million dollar business. So a little bit bigger than the ones we're talking about here. Um, and a couple of years later, after kind of, you know, executing on a plan that we helped to develop exited at like very significant multiples of that, um, to the point that that founder now has created a fund for other black founders, you know, to help do more of it. So the, the exciting thing was like executing the plays against how to grow the business, which is something we know how to do, can have the impact when you have great businesses that have great value proposition. And so I think we've seen it work, you know, Monica, and we know that we know that it will work. The question is like, how do we just get out there and do more of that work with more founders um, and make sure that we have like all the support around it um, so that we can we can support them for the long haul. But I think that's one of the the exciting things. One of the most challenging or hardest things for me and in the process of, of kind of creating this program was sitting across from the founders that we talked to as, as we were building, building it and tailoring it to them 
and hearing pretty repeatedly them say, you know, I don't think I'm worth it, or I don't think I can do it. Or, you know, I feel like I should be grateful, right? Those types of mindset things that have been ingrained um, in some of these founders as they are on this really hard road and hearing them tell those stories and then being able to help them kind of look at it in a different way, right? And see like, no, this is not actually about being grateful. Like you have an incredible product and an incredible brand and, and kind of helping them see the the next horizon and the next direction um, has been it's been the silver lining of all of that. But I think those conversations and hearing, you know, the turn down stories after turn down stories is really hard. It's hard to hear it. It's even harder, I can only imagine, to have that be, you know, the business that you are trying to build and um, and having those experiences step by step. So I think uh, that for me has been one of the one of the hardest things about it. But I think also, like I said, simultaneously makes this program um, so rewarding because we are you know specifically aiming a lot of the programming around that and around mindset how we get the right mindset to to grow forward. Yeah, I think I think that's a great point Tyler because I and I think that when you take that and then say why do we get confidence to be able to tell those founders no no no, right? Um we can see a different future is because we've also looked at the data of when black founders and businesses get what they need, they outperform. That's what we found in the beauty work, right? And so like when we make sure that sort of the context is leveled, right? And the access to the data and the information and the relationships and the investment, all those things are in place. Um, they outperform. And, you know, we've also talked to some retailers and one of the interesting things is they are seeing a lot of pockets of innovation come from black founders, right? There's like a lot of excitement. If you think about within the food space specifically, um, there's a lot of innovation around allergy-free foods, vegan food product. That's coming from a group of Black founders that are really driving a lot of that, given that there's a big movement in the Black community, you know, around some of those um, eating habits. And so like the, the good news is, is that the more that we can point to those examples, the more that we can reinforce that when we can get this right, the outcomes are just like outsized and amazing. You know, I think that it can combat some of that uh, what Tyler was alluding to, but unfortunately the history and the track record basically says, if you want to be an entrepreneur in general, good luck, like pick the boulder up and carry it up the hill. But if you want to be an entrepreneur and you look a certain way and you don't have access to certain things, you know, pick up six boulders. And when that's been the context and you're basically signing up to do the impossible, it's really hard to do it, not carrying the weight of that every single day, but it's like, that's not the best mindset to be able to be in to really innovate and drive, which is what I think we would want any entrepreneur to be able to do. We are going to take a quick break before our rapid fire Q&A. And in our rapid fire Q&A, we are going to be more optimistic. We're going to end on a more optimistic note. We're back from our break and talking to Tiffany Burns and Tyler Harris. So Tiffany and Tyler, thanks so much for sharing those insights with us today. Each episode in the Future of America podcast wraps up with a rapid fire Q&A. And so Tiffany, I'm going to ask you a question and then Tyler, you'll answer that same question. And then I'll ask you the second question, et cetera. Okay. First one, is there a book or an article that you have recently read that gives you excitement about a more sustainable and inclusive future? This one is uh, 
probably not going to be uh, uh, what you want to hear, but given that I live in the world of McKinsey, um, you know, I've enjoyed a lot of the writings, you know, that, that we have published and not that I've worked on, but from, you know, Sven Smith and Tracy Francis and others that really do paint a path to sustainable, inclusive growth. And basically the idea in some of those articles you know, really is about the idea that growth is the vehicle to which you can get greater inclusion because you have equal access to opportunity and progress. And those things allow you to address inequality, you know, to, to do all those things. And so it, it, it's been really exciting for me to read some of that because it really does show you how historically I think people thought growth, inclusion, and sustainability are like at odds. And the thinking that those colleagues have done is, no, 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 it really is an and, not an or. And I think that's an empowering thought. So like those three things can get us to a better outcome. And so that's been great. You know, that's my, you know, nerdy kind of work reading, right? And I, outside of work, have read Viola Davis's book about her life and experience, which is super inspiring. Um, I like reading about people and their stories because I find that, you know, it allows you to think about um, your own experiences and you just learn a lot of leadership lessons from individuals. I'm going to follow up with that. And and as I do so, I'm laughing to myself because Tiffany, I clearly need to do more reading. That is not McKinsey focused reading um, because my <laughs> answer to that question, Monica, was going to be uh, the, the latest black representation in beauty research that Tiffany is one of our fine authors of. Um, so not a very creative answer, but I do think it is genuinely a really good read. And I, I like it for a couple of reasons. Um, one, I think it, it does a really nice job of kind of storytelling with um, with facts and real founder stories and inputs that kind of gets out of some of our um, our typical McKinsey writing so I think I think it's a good read for that I also like the beauty industry because there's a lot happening in terms of black owned brands there um, and the the reasons are you know are numerous but you know beauty is a place where uh, black consumers have been pretty consistently you know underrepresented and not able to find what they need for a very long time um, and as a result it's starting to be a place where a lot of black entrepreneurs are innovating and innovating products for Black consumers, but also other um, skin tones and skin types as well. So it's a place where you're starting to really see, um, you know, busting of the the thought that Black-owned brands are just for Black consumers as well. So nerdy answer, but it is genuinely a good read. And I would encourage everyone to check it out. And I will put in another plug for the videos that accompany that article. I thought they were just gorgeous. Anyway, so everyone check it out. Um, next question. What makes you optimistic that we can achieve sustainable and inclusive growth? I think that um, we are at a point where uh, we have to grapple with and address and overcome all of these things, these things, right? In our economy in general, we have to have growth. We also have to figure out the sustainability plan and edge, and it has to be inclusive given the growth in the other population, right, in the U.S. is going to be significant and going to be the majority, right? And so I think there's a little bit of the time is now. I think there's broad acknowledgement 
that we don't have the luxury of sort of not doing anything. And I think we're framing the business case, right? That's kind of what we know how to do. We're, We're putting the facts down on paper and making it kind of clear and synthesized for everybody. But I do think that like, you know, consumers, I do think business leaders, I think our our government leaders, I think the world, right, and all those groups are coming to the same conclusion um, and are engaging with the with the data and are having the tough conversations. And so I feel really good that we are on a path um, to, to make a difference. I do, like I said earlier, feel like it's still early days and these are like very long-term historic challenging topics. And so like, will change be overnight? No, but are we kind of laying the groundwork to get there? I think so, because I think it really is anchored on um, a strong understanding, right? And then a belief in that we have to do something different. I think we're in that belief in needing to do something different that I think will position us to be able to get to something different. And so, you know, I wake up every day feeling good. You know, I wake up every day thinking about, you know, I have a two and a four-year-old, so it makes you think a lot about like, what is their life going to be like? You know, and I'm very optimistic, right? That it's going to be different. I'm optimistic that they're going to see people who are, you know, leading organizations and starting businesses and creating wealth who look like them, um, you know, which which is awesome. And, um, you know, and trying to figure out how I continue to contribute to it and, you know, I feel like a lots of folks are are doing the same. And so it it, it definitely is a positive um, trajectory. Uh, there are two things that make me really optimistic about it. And I'll take more of a retail specific lens to it. The first thing is just the consumer. If you really strip it down, right? Retailers exist to serve consumer needs. And so if the consumer both the black consumer and all other demographics of consumers, right? If 50% of all consumers are telling us that they want to buy more black owned brands, retailers are going to have to serve that need if that's what they're saying that they want. And so um, to, to Tiffany's point of we're, we're kind of at this point of the inevitable and now is the time. I do think the consumer really is at the forefront of it, uh, which can drive drive really great change. And the second thing that makes me really optimistic is just all the time that we have spent with some of these entrepreneurs who are creating really incredible product and really sound businesses around that. I mean, these conversations with these folks that are, that are starting these businesses are uh, the highlight of what I get to do every day. And so seeing the innovation and what they are building combined with um, the consumer demand that's really growing. Those are the two things that, um, that make me really optimistic. And so I am, I am looking forward to seeing more and more on retail shelves. And finally, what is the one thing our listeners can do today to help promote sustainable and inclusive growth? Mine is, mine's pretty simple. Go support Black-owned brands, right? If you haven't bought from a Black-owned brand recently, go search them out and, and find one. If you, if you need a shopping list, I have many favorites. Tiffany knows that I have my many favorites. Um, but, but start there, right? There, that is a very easy way to go support inclusive growth and to support some of the entrepreneurs. Um, it's just, purchase their products. Yeah. And I think that is the basic right thing. But I think that then depending on where you operate and sort of which realm, right, you're in, then think about what the implication is for what you can do differently. Because I think as we paint some of the pain points, right, then the mirror is like what needs to change and therefore what I can change. And so if you're in the investing space, that looks really different. If you're in the education space, that looks really different around how do we, I mean, we talked about the Black in Hollywood research earlier, but 
you know, one of the opportunities is how do we get more people of color behind the behind the camera? Right. There's a lot of places where, you know, folks are saying we don't have enough people. Right. There's labor challenges all over. So why don't we start preparing and training folks who, you know, are in lower paid wage jobs to do some of these jobs? And so I think part of it is in your unique place that you operate and where you have the ability to have impact. What does it look like for you across the dimensions, right, that we're talking about? And then making a plan, you know, to go and do it, I think is what we'd encourage everybody to do. Thank you, Tiffany and Tyler. That was Tiffany Burns, a senior partner in our Atlanta office, and Tyler Harris, an associate partner in our D.C. office. I'm Monica Toriello. You have been listening to McKinsey's Future of America podcast series. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to the Future of America podcast. We're thrilled you're joining us as we explore the journey toward a more sustainable and inclusive and growing economy. Be sure to subscribe to the Future of America podcast on whichever platform you use and check out our insights and research on these topics at mckinsey.com slash future of America. Thanks for being a part of the Future of America.